Hello and welcome to That One Case, the podcast where lawyers share stories of the cases that influence their careers. My guest today is Ruby Powers, owner of Powers Law Group PC. Uh, Ruby is a board certified immigration attorney based in Houston, Texas, and specializes in all aspects of immigration law, including family-based petitions, consular processing, immigration court and litigation, and more. Uh, And on today's show, Ruby shares with us a story of how she reunited a father with his family and a mother with her seven-year-old son after months of separation. One of them was a few years ago in a a nonprofit uh, that I work a lot of pro bono, low bono with, came to me and said, we have a pregnant woman with three kids and we need you to work on her case for asylum. And I said, okay. And they said, oh, by the way, her husband's detained. I go, what? (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, what's going on there? I'm like, oh yeah, well, you know, he's got court like next week or next month or something. I'm like, hold on. I said, this is what I've learned. Usually the families don't like being separated and a mom with three or four kids is not going to be able to survive here very long without their spouse. And we got to go figure out what's going on over there. So um, long story short, uh, I tried to get a continuance on the husband's case and the judge wouldn't listen because the guy had already been detained for like six months and he was like the longest he'd ever had somebody stay on. And um, it actually was very fascinating. He got some rare medical condition in the jungles traveling, traversing to America. And that's why he was, he was held in the, the, the medical unit and was detained so long. So um, long story short, um, they wouldn't give me a, deten- a continuance. So I decided to basically fly there on, on Easter Sunday and the, the hearing was the next day. Never done this ridiculousness. This is too last minute, but he was detained. We were communicating by mail and phone and language issues. It was really difficult. So I arrived with my law clerk, now associate, and we we got ourselves in the detention facility because it was, it was a Sunday on, it was Easter and they were giving me a hard time getting her in. And um, anyway, we basically sit with him for five hours going over his whole story. And I felt like I was listening to a movie. I mean, I can't tell all the details and I do want him to write a movie. I want the movie about this, but like it involved him and his wife and three kids being in a room as stowaways on a, on a boat and they couldn't make a sound for a month. I, I can hardly imagine. I have kids um, and that included a baby. And then they traversed everywhere from, from uh, Brazil to the border of, of Texas and Mexico with each adult carried one kid and the oldest walked. Halfway through, they found out she was pregnant in the era of Zika. And uh, they let her, at the border, they let her go because she was pregnant with the children. But And that's where she found shelter. And that's who I found, I got connected with the case. But he was detained uh, by himself dealing with that medical condition. And about he was actually defending himself. He was doing everything pro se. He he told me he was helping other people in the detention translating and with their legal work. <laughs> he was he's a pretty sharp, eager guy. So um the next day, I mean having just met him that the day before, we went in and about I think three hour hearing and it was tough, but it was going well and I think there was sympathy sympathy, but the judge still had some questions. So he he reconvened three weeks later. And um, I had to fly back again. 
prepare, the judge came out with some random piece of evidence that in immigration court, they don't, we don't have the same rules of evidence as most courts. So I had to deal with it on the fly. The client was able to respond and we were able to get it approved. It, it was amazing. Um, I mean, I'm, I never would have said, I, I'm glad I won something that had so little pre preparation, but I really knew his case inside and out for having spent so much time with him. And, and that's what you have to do to win, to be able to, to prepare them. And the other thing was that I, he had never seen his child. So I sent, I brought pictures of his baby to him and I saw his baby before he got to see his baby and he got approved like on his birthday and they, we were coordinating his bus trip back to meet his family and his newborn child who we hadn't met before and all his kids. He hadn't seen them for like six or seven months in this new country. I, I didn't tell lots of detail, but, but that case reminds me why I do asylum and why I'm so grateful. And, um, I said, I said, I told him like right before we walked in, it was at the end of the prep and before we were about to start cart, I was like, what were you going to do if I didn't show up? And he goes, well, you know, I, I mean, God was going to help me. I mean, he was going to, we were going to get through this. And I was like, well, I guess he did. Cause we, I, we showed up. <laughs> And he won because, I mean, if you don't, if you know the approval rates for pro se asylum in Texas detention facilities, it's, it's like a 5%. It's really bad. So uh, this is a question probably more for me that, that might not make the edit because I, I imagine lots of lawyers probably know the answer already, but I wonder who, who pays for these cases? Um, because clearly these folks, I assume aren't. So in this case, I was given a, a small low bono stipend, I mean, to help cover my time and travel costs and everything because we had to go to the border. Um, but in many cases, nobody's paying for them. There's not a lot of legal resources for detained detainees. There's some nonprofits, um, like with the American Bar Association has a, a, a location down at that, at that site, but they don't have the bandwidth to help everybody and to give that much attention to one case so in many cases they'll do like what they call like know your rights or or charla talks where they'll talk about what your what options you have but for the most part you're on your own unless you can afford an attorney incredible incredible work that you're doing wonderful i'm not sure what else to ask i'm sort of stumped on that one it's a bit of a well it's a gem of a story and and that year was 2018 and so I had to go down to Port Isabel detention facility, which is right, we're close to the border, Texas and Mexico. And and so later on in June, I kept I heard about this thing called family separation, and I was like, what the, what's going on with that? What is that? Like really? You know? And I have two small kids, and I'm like, so what I figured out was that they were basically separating the parents from the children and sending children off to who knows where they literally didn't keep track of them. I mean, this is, you know, summer 2018 and, um, but it wasn't really apparent what was going on. So I did go down to the border. I went to that same detention facility two times. It really worked out well because I was so familiar with it from that asylum case in the spring. I was, I was felt comfortable going down there, you know, getting a, a car, driving out an hour out to that detention facility in the middle of, of nowhere. Um, I knew the guards, you know, I, and I, and, um, 
we we were trying to help as many people as possible. We were trying to find out what was going on. I was later able to talk with reporters, um, work with ACLU, um, work with nonprofits like Kind and others. And uh, together, it was like we created this legal army. We all put together this patchwork. And then I sent my associate down and long, we were able to take over a few cases. And at the very end of that summer, I flew down to take to meet directly with one of the clients we took over pro bono and I picked her up from the detention it was so wild um, to pick her up you know she had been detained and separated from her son we went straight I said what do you want to eat and she's like chicken and I'm a vegetarian I'm like okay where do we take you to eat chicken she's been eating detained food for so long and been on the road I went and took her to Walmart and bought clothes and a, a, a cell phone and and then we 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 found a way to call her son and and I gave her my phone with WhatsApp and she started calling her all of her family and it was it was beautiful but she wasn't used to being quiet so she would play loud music at night um, and anyway we were able to to get her I had to, I had to do a lot of advocacy because her son was detained in New York City and we were in the valley in Texas and we were able to, with a lot of cajoling and arguing, I was able to get him delivered to us about two days later. And it was like that scene in the movie where he was walking out and they look at each other and they start running towards each other and hugging because they hadn't, they would been separated for a couple of months and he was only seven. The last thing any parent wants is to be separated from their child and I can only imagine the months of anguish those families must have felt uh, until Ruby arrived, so incredible work. Um, a huge thanks to Ruby for, for joining us today. If you want to find out more about Ruby and Powers Law Group, you can find all the links in the show notes over at thatonecase.com and if you did enjoy today's episode, I uh, really would appreciate it if you could share it with one person that you think would also find it interesting all the details on how to subscribe are found at thatonecase.com. Thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you again next time as Kay Van Wey tells us the story of That One Case. Mm-hmm.